and welcome to the Essential Property Podcast with your hosts, Paul Samuda and Amanda Woodward. With 45 years of combined experience in the world of property buying, selling, investing and developing, they are here to share with you their knowledge in the Stoke-on-Trent, Newcastle-under-Lyme and Crew property market. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Essential Property Podcast with myself, Amanda Woodward and Paul Samuda. And today we are going to be catching up on Project 1B amongst a whole bunch of other things as we have been a little bit quiet over the last couple of months and we'll share with you why and what we've been up to since our last episode. So this will be vlog three of our Project 1B series, where we share with you the ups, downs, trials, tribulations and progress of the larger development that we're doing in Stoke-on-Trent at the moment. So we'll be filling you in on that. And as always, keeping you in the loop with what's happening economically in the market with interest rates, renters reform bill and all other things sort of property investing related. So we finished up on the second Project 1B episode and the project was at moving on to second fix. So we'd put in the kitchens, we'd put in the sanitary of the bathrooms and the tilers had just started the tiling of 12 bathrooms. We would had chosen some really funky tiles and grout colours and they were very much up for the job, which we were quite excited about. So that's where we were up to. So since then, fast forward to now, we are days, perhaps a couple of weeks away max of launching and being live. So I'll just hand you over to Paul to give us a, or to give you sort of a bit of a detailed overview of what's been going on at Project 1B over the last, I guess, two months. Yeah, it does feel like quite a few months that we've been away. It's only actually been two and a half months, but in that time, we've been extremely busy with our project. I think since we last spoke, we focused a little bit more on the design element. When you have a building of this size, I always try to approach it with what's the theme going to be, as opposed to it's a bunch of rooms with a nice feature wall. Is there going to be a bit of a theme? Is there going to be a bit of a color that follows through? Does that reflect in the building or the period? Which probably sounds a little bit over the top, but Amanda and I discussed quite a lot is that this is in a part of Stoke which is not popular for what we would consider high-end HMO. A little bit more popular for SA because it's nearer sort of places like Trenton Gardens and easy access to different work venues where people come in for contracting but from a typical professional HMO it's not your number one destination so we had approached it that we were going to design this almost as if it was a destination that people would see want to live there it's close to the train station which is a plus if they had to take a train back into Hanley and it was going to be effectively a cut above the rest so that was our brief to ourselves so we got to the stage now that the kitchen was in is actually setting about and working on the decorating and you know true to form in this business everything was going to plan until our painter let us down he came in one day and then we didn't see him he was supposed to bring a team and he didn't turn up but uh, these things happen in this in, in this business so we had to find another 
painter decorator, which actually was from out of the area who had done some stuff for us before. And it's probably, you know, pretty decent quality. So he was able to jump in and do what's worked out to be quite a great job on that. So, so we're at the stage where we just had to decide what was going to go in the room, what the theme of the rooms are, what the colors were going to be, what people are going to feel like when they walk in. And when they walk into their bedroom, when they walk into the building, what do you want them to feel like? Do you want them to feel as if they're in, you know, basic shared accommodation? Do they do we want them to feel as if they're in this grand building and it's a home? And I said to Amanda that I think we want people to walk in. If they walked in with a friend, and the friend would say, Wow, you live here. This is amazing. And we set about doing that in as cost-effective way as possible. We engage in interior designers, which we have done in the last three jobs we've done because, you know, whilst they don't do purchases and things like that for us, they give me a bit of a kickoff in terms of colors and ideas. And I discuss a few things with them. I drive them mad, they always say, but, uh-huh. you know, we come up with a good starting point in terms of the look and feel of the rooms and the common areas and things like that. So we had decided on theme. We were able to maintain some original features, which is always helpful, but nothing like what we would like. I think we had to reduce the ceiling size for all but one of the bedrooms, but we kept the original high ceilings in some of the common areas. And that was purely because of to get our EPC rating for that level C. And also from a heating standpoint, you know, hot air rises and all the air will just disappear if you don't have lowish type ceiling. So on, on balance, I think it was what, 2.8 meters. We sort of settled on normally it's 2.4, but we had ceilings as high as 3.2, 3.4 meter high ceilings. So we wanted to maintain what we could in terms of the original features and accentuate that. Our rooms are large. I think the smallest room we have is something like 11 and a half, 12 square meters. And the largest room slash studio, we actually call them studios and suites, is something like 24 square meters. So they're big rooms. That was going to be a selling point for the people staying there. We'll be able to take couples and there'll be room in, you know, an incentive for people to stay there for long periods of time if they were stopping as an HMO. Equally, if we were doing a little bit of short stay, which you know we do, they were big enough for maybe a family to be there for a long weekend if they were visiting the uh, you know local attractions. We decided on the room categories. There were four different room categories. Amanda yes. will probably remind me of what those were. <laughs> so we have like our standard double on suites. We have our studios. Then we have our suites. And then we have our superior suites. Okay. So our superior suites are the largest rooms. They have sort of a small kitchenette style area in the rooms, along with gorgeous bathrooms. And some of them have a little special feature, which we will release when we release the photos at the end of the project. Our regular suites are don't have the kitchenette. And then we sort of have our double ensuite rooms. So we split them up for really for pricing. So we could price the rooms differently manage expectations as well. So when a, a guest or a tenant sees the marketing online, they can then see, you know, this room comes under this category and it's this price. Or if you want, you know, our sort of creme de la creme and the fabulous high-end room, then it's, you know, X price and is a lot more involved in the room. 
I think we have picked that up on our previous projects. And again, it's something which people who are doing HMOs, I don't think spend enough time on where they look at creating different style rooms for different requirements. Some people want bigger rooms. Some people have a budget for smaller rooms. Some people want rooms a little bit more character, slightly larger bathrooms. And I think if you can build that within your development, obviously the bigger the development, the better, the more flexibility you have, the better. But we certainly learned that of our previous project that people will pay a little bit more for a little bit more amenity. And I think in the environment with it we're in now, cost of living crisis, I think it's important to give good quality, but also good value at the same time. Because people like the all-inclusive option, they've had a taste of the high bills, and the all-inclusive option is obviously, even for people who are probably trading down from a one-bedroom apartment, I think they want quality. So that's been a large ingredient within our, our plan to have these suites and double ensuite rooms and studios. In our studios, we don't allow cooking per se. So our kitchenette involves a fridge and a microwave. So there's no hot plate or mini cooker there. Not to say we not to say we couldn't, but it goes into a whole new fire safety regulations and you know the regulations around this building and bait numbers it is and I think Amanda's going to touch on that a little bit later. So once we've decided the different room categories, um, then we were going to agree on the theme. And the theme is normally around colour and what's going to be included. And typically, you know, nothing new here. It's going to be a small double bed or standard double. We have no singles in this property, no. which is probably a first. There are no singles in this property. And then we normally have either open closets or full wardrobes. And our experience is that people prefer full wardrobe if they live at the property. If they're short staying, then open closets are absolutely fine because we're only there for a few days. But we've opted for full wardrobes throughout the property. And one of the things that we decided more recently is rather than buy things flat pack, we bought them already ready to go. So we've used a company for that. And that's just saved us a whole lot of time and that hassle. We have bought some flat pack things, some sort of unique things that we wanted to present. But in the main, the chests, the desks and the wardrobes have been already made up. So the content was going to be wardrobe, desks. Every room has a desk, wardrobe, obviously, and a chest. And then another level of amenity would be some have a sofa or a comfy armchair or in some instances two armchairs all our rooms have tvs so that's obviously a consideration to plan where the tv is going to go so they all come with tvs on the walls so that was one of the thoughts that we had to put in terms of where we're going to put it what size tv and we went for 43 inch for the regular rooms and the large rooms we went for 50 inch so i think we've got four 50 inch tvs so we were really trying to make it quite welcoming and plush for the people that are there and then type of beds one of the things amanda said that some previous beds that we purchased before just didn't have the longevity that we would have liked so you know we switched and we've got a combination of beds for the small doubles and the larger doubles. So we've got three different types of beds. But one of the most important things that Amanda mentioned that she had some feedback from customers that the mattresses were, after a while, they were a bit dodgy, they got a bit flat. So we upgraded the mattresses. So we spent quite a lot on the mattresses to make them comfortable. And I think, you know, when we all go into hotels, 
one of the things that we're quite critical of is the mattress that we're sleeping on. Is it too hard? Is it too soft? Is it a bit old? And that's no different to people coming to stop in an HMO. They want to have a decent night's sleep if they intend to be there. A big one for us is lighting. This particular building was terrible for windows, I would say, for reasons I'm not too sure. The front of the property isn't bad, but as you get higher up the building, the windows are quite small. And as you start to incorporate rooms in the middle and towards the end, there was sort of one window in there instead of potentially two or potentially a skylight. So what we ensured was that we had at least two light fittings in a room and two fairly bright light fittings attached to them to ensure that made the room as bright as possible, easy to work. And they could turn one of the lights off or have both on or off as they need. We'll probably put lamps in each of the rooms as well, table lamps as well. So someone would do some bedtime reading, it's there as well. So lighting is really quite important. We're at the stage now where create a spreadsheet. It's sort of three or four different spreadsheets. I have a spreadsheet for painting, painting, decorating, which is basically painting wallpaper, where that comes from, what type of paint it is, where the wallpaper comes from. I have a spreadsheet for the furniture, as furniture in the bedroom and furniture in the ensuite. Typically, the furniture in the ensuite is a mirror and a shelf or a sort of creation of shelf and mirror combined. And then I have a, a spreadsheet which reflects when I've purchased it and whether it's been shipped and fitted, which sounds complicated and it is. But historically, you know, you get a lot of stuff that comes into one place and things go missing. Either they're, they're at our storage or they never got shipped or, you know, someone, you know, unfortunately decided that, you know, I have seems to be lying about, I'll take that with me. And it happens. It happens in every development. But in the main, it's been, this has been pretty tight and we've pretty much got everything that we need to have now. And about 75% of the furniture has been fitted, the carpet's been fitted, wooden floors in some of the rooms. We use vinyl in some of the common areas in the kitchens. We have two kitchens that cater for the 12 people. And the last thing for us now is probably artwork on the wall. That's the only thing that I haven't worked on. I think I bought one piece of artwork for one of the kitchens. And we now have to do that. So that's where we are from a design and decorating standpoint. I think on the practical side, one thing that we had to have a discussion about was locks. God, yeah. So quite a, you know, one would think simple and not, you know, hugely important part. But anyone who runs either an HMO management business or is a landlord with a fair few properties knows that locks and keys are a nightmare. So we had uh, quite a few years ago now opted for digital locks over traditional keys. And I much prefer them. Yes, the battery goes down sometimes. Yes, every now and again, we have to sort one out, but it's far better than working with keys. So we've opted for a Yale keyless locking mechanism on every door. Very secure. The same sort of locks that we'd even have on our front door, we've actually got on the bedroom doors. Very easy to change the codes, very manageable, alerts you when there's a low battery. So I'm actually quite looking forward to using them in this development because it will just make you know our lives just that little bit easier. And we hope easier for the tenants as well to not have to worry about, oh, I've lost my key. Because <laughs> how many times do we hear, you know, my HMO landlords among us will know about lost keys. So we've done that. And even something to straight 
straightforward as carpets wasn't straightforward, was it? I mean, you've got a huge building that you need to put the floor coverings for. So we chose the carpets in the bedrooms. We chose like the style of carpet. We opted for vinyl in a few rooms, laminate in a few rooms. But when it came to the communal staircase, our carpet fitter said to us, you don't want to put regular carpet. You need something very hard wearing. Okay, that makes sense. So he said, I'll get you a contract carpet. You know, in 10 years time, that contract carpet will still be there. It will be great. So he thought, okay, that sounds like a good idea. They fitted a contract carpet and it was horrible. (laughs) Well, all right, maybe that was a little bit too strong, but it wasn't what we was expecting. Yeah, I think the bedroom carpets were, were lovely and the commercial communal carpets just weren't as nice as the bedroom carpets. Okay. That's really what you brought down to. So we've got to try and work on that in terms of are we going to change them? Are we going to put some rugs around? Are we, you know, what are we going to do? So even some of the most straightforward things, if you take your eye off the ball, perhaps, or you just didn't, you know, maybe I should have just said, well, let me see a sample of that, or let me just, you know, I kind of took took their word for it, but there we go. So as Paul said, at that point, we're sort of 75% through furnishing and we're almost ready for launch. So now we're in launch mode in terms of the management of the building, the housekeeping of the building, the maintenance of the building, the plan maintenance. Hang on, hang on a second. You missed a vital bit. You missed the ceiling falling down. Oh, gosh. <laughs> oh, gosh. We had, when we bought the property, the vendor, who, you know, was great and we have a great relationship with her, she said, I've done the flat roof. A few years ago, we had some problems with the flat roof and I've replaced the flat roof. So we thought, great. But as we started to develop the property, we started to see some leaks and some, well, yeah, basically some leaks coming in into the building. So we got a few different roofing companies up there. And basically half of the flat roof had been replaced, but the other half hadn't. And presumably the other half was fine at some point, but it wasn't fine now. So we hadn't planned for any roofing work apart from, you know, a little bit of repairs here and there. We certainly hadn't repaired planned for a sort of a five or six grand roof replacement. It got to the point where that was what we had to do. We had to replace the flat roof, put, you know, rubber, a rubber system on it instead. So met a great company, good quote, seemed, you know, to know what they're doing and they did, but they took off the old roof on Monday, was coming to come back on Tuesday to fit the new roof. And on Monday night, we all had, you know, the heavens opened and we had rain the whole night. And whilst they had sheeted up the roof as a bit of a protection, they had not foreseen the amount of rain that we was going to have. So we arrived the next morning and in room 13, it was basically raining inside the room. At this point, we were fully plastered, fully second fixed, painted, ready to go. And the ceiling had fallen in. The insulation was soaking wet. And it looked like it looked even worse than when we bought it, you know, six months before that. And I think up until then, you you expect things to go wrong. And our thing probably was the roof. But having found a great roofer to do the work on that, what we didn't expect was for that to translate in the ceiling falling down as a result of that heavy rain, which you walk in and you can see rain coming through the ceiling. Yeah. <laughs> okay. We were there with buckets yeah. and, oh, and was, you know, yeah. trying to get, you know, it trying to disaster. stop it causing even more damage. Yeah. yeah, light fittings have gone up. But, you know, but these are the things and you just work with them. The roofer said, look, you know, we'll 
pay for replacing the plasterboards and we'll replaster that side. And, uh, you know, we just repainted it and now we're pretty much finished and it's ready for the fall. And they were great, weren't yeah, they? They yeah, were great. great. It was the first great. time that we were using yeah, them and company. they were fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We definitely recommend them. But I think the important thing is that there are setbacks and some of you certainly in Stoke and Crew would have experienced setbacks with your respective refurbs. And that's part and part parcel of this business and you know the focus is to get over them get it done we went through four builders and you know there's an argument to say look just get it done as quick as possible so you can get it to market but we didn't have this in the budget you know we were already over budget and we didn't have this in the budget so we wanted to make sure that one builders would give us the right information or roofers give us the right information secondly we wanted a comparison so we wanted to compare two or three and whilst there's probably about a thousand fifteen hundred pounds in it which fifteen hundred pounds is what it costs to renovate to furnish one of the rooms so it was significant for us but i think we found the right roofer that knows his stuff the walls that the moisture was coming through on the back part of the property never mind the leaky ceiling that seems to have been solved which yeah. is what our biggest concern was and we'll have a nice watertight building certainly for the next few years until the next problem occurs <laughs> so yeah so that was a bit of an event a curveball and that delayed a little bit but not a huge amount but like you say you can't foresee it so we're now at the stage where we're starting to kind of get things signed off so we had the stoke on trent city council hmo officer come through for his initial inspection so I showed him around and informed him of all of the sort of compliance elements that we had put in place to ensure that when it comes to licensing the building, that we have everything in place. And whilst we've done this, you know, time and time again, it's still great to get, you know, get the council in, get their feedback. And, and the officer gave us a few pointers. So when he comes to license the building, pretty much in a couple of weeks time, now, I guess, we'll be good to go. Because, you know, the, the councils are really clamping down in terms of the compliance side of things and making the building safe. It is a three-story building, has got a number of rooms, and we need to make sure that we are fully compliant from a fire safety standpoint. And that's what most of it is around. When the HM officer comes out, mainly it's about fire safety. Well, I think more, more so, Amanda, I think we've said in the previous podcast, if not one of the blogs, that fire safety is now a thing. Yes, yeah. And the government via the local council, via the fire service, are making it a definitive thing for landlords. And I, the other day, a couple of weeks ago, I was chatting with the head of the fire service for the whole of the West Midlands. And we were talking about Grenfell, which everything kicked off from Grenfell in London when they had that huge fire, and what's happened since. And the top and bottom of it is, I said to him, I won't quote what he said, but I said to him, it seems that None of the big boys have come, come into bother as a result of that whole Grenfell situation and similar type properties. So the authorities have gone for the low-hanging fruit, which are small, medium-sized landlords have small, medium-sized properties where we have to do the right thing because we can't afford to litigate or negotiate or take you to court. We just don't have those resources. So we've got to do what you say. So... There's a lot of pressure now on landlords to ensure that their properties are fire safe. 
And, you know, they're testing fire doors. We said that in the previous podcast, all fire doors are, are going to be checked and double checked. They've got a little gizmo to see whether smoke is able to see through. And certainly the conversations that we've had with Build Control or Building Inspector has been heavily slanted towards the fire safety, yeah. which is the right thing. I mean, nobody wants anybody to be severely burnt or die in their property, but it's the right thing for them to do. But it's just stressing how important that is in terms of development, one, and two, on an ongoing basis. And we have obviously, as a management business, put more resources in terms of ensuring that our fire safety conditions and checks are moving towards that direction. And then in the next week or so, just before opening, we'll go through quite a rigorous fire risk assessment for the building to ensure that it complies. And that will be something that we have to keep on file and revisit periodically to make sure that building remains safe and that we're taking all the, 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 the necessary, we're following the necessary protocol to keep it safe. And the fire order has been updated recently and is a lot more stricter. And it is a legal obligation for landlords to have a fire risk assessment on every HMO. And a HMO should have one on file and should be reviewed periodically. And that's something that we've been liaising with our landlords about with regards to when we're sending them our quarterly inspection reports and identifying, you know, if there ha- is or isn't a fire risk assessment on file and making sure we bring that up to date to make sure that we comply. Yeah. And of course, a building of this size is absolutely imperative. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've had really positive feedback from our quarterly inspection reports. We made it a little bit more detailed, a little bit more geared to compliance with the recent state legislations. And a lot of landlords, if they're listening, have been, you know, saying, great, wonderful, can you get this done, can you get that done, which obviously we're happy to do on behalf of the landlords. But I think the most important thing is that it's important to be aware and then to take action. Yes. The councils, if they find something wrong, they don't fine you there and then. They give you time to remedy it. Mm. But it's always better to be ahead of the ball so you don't have to get into that situation where you get an official notice. And that's the point of the quarterly six inspections and the big inspections every half year. Okay. So if we mentioned in the last couple of blogs that we had split the building, mm-hmm. we'd, yeah. we'd know, we said that we'd split it into sort of phase one and phase two, and that we were focusing on the existing HMO upstairs to get that completed for a variety of reasons, one certainly being the cost of renovation works from when we bought the building to when we renovated it had increased dramatically. So rather than stumble, we thought, okay, let's just get moving. We'll get the first phase open. We'll start to generate some revenue and income. And then we'll look at phase two, which is what we're looking at now, or what we've kind of even started now. So just share with us a little bit about where we're up to with phase two and then bring it on phase three. Well, there, there were to be two phases. Everything is driven by cost. I mean, the cost of capital now has gone up massively. I'm pretty good at forecasting interest rates, but I didn't think that we'd be having conversations or be in the press of interest rates touching 6% as a bank base rate. It's currently five. I thought it would max out at 4.75. So with that in mind, the cost of borrowing money is a lot more expensive than we thought. So we said we need to try and do this as much as we can out of our own resources before we start taking on an additional set of borrowing. So the plan was phase one, 12 rooms, phase two, the other seven rooms. The issue that we have, and this is important for anybody who is doing apartments or, or big HMO like this, is 
if you split a development into two phases with the intention of renting phase one, how are the occupants of phase one affected by the ongoing development of phase two? And I actually spoke to a couple of people that had done that and they said, it's a freaking disaster. So with that in mind, I said, well, tell me more what went mm-hmm. wrong. Would you have done differently? So to sort of drew some learning from that. And the long and short of it is that whatever you think is going to go smoothly generally doesn't go smoothly. Dust is those very fine dust particles has a knack of just finding its way just about anywhere and everywhere, even when you have it blocked off and sheet covered and things like that. And then you can't underestimate the noise. So what we said with that in mind, we would start phase two as we were finishing phase one. So we had to take out a couple of quite big walls, put some steels in. We had to remove chunks of the back part of the property and create windows and doors. So we said, if we were able to do that while we were in the last 25% of the project for phase one, a lot of the dust, the dirt, the noise would be completed then. And then everything else thereafter should be minimal noise, minimal drilling and sawing and things like that. So that's what we've done. That's what we've done. So we've created our kitchen area, our kitchen diner area, which is a lot bigger than I thought, which was great. And we've actually had kitchen designers coming to to give their first sketches of what the kitchen is going to look like. We've had our construction guy knock out the back and create windows. We've actually ordered the windows. And we got David, our structural engineer, in, didn't we, just to give it the once over and make sure that what we were doing was sound. Yeah, which is always important. He he has, does all our structural stuff. He does a great job. We brought him in a second time to ensure that everything is as it should be. Because sometimes when you take out a wall, it looks slightly differently than when the wall was there. I'm not saying a structural engineer guesses, they're very technical, but obviously visually seeing an exposed space is obviously a lot better than working out, you know, what, where does this steel go to? Where does this bit of brickwork go to? So anyway, everything was fine there, no changes there. And we've had building regs inspector come out and have a look. And he was fine. He wanted a couple of little bits and pieces added, but nothing that was particularly worrying. So we're trying to get ahead so that it minimizes. So the objective is in the next couple of three weeks to have our first guests moving in. We have created a new entrance for the trades so that the front entrance is purely going to be for guests and tenants and the rear entrance is going to be for the trades. We've cordoned off the area where we've worked on with. We're actually going to block it off with plasterboard and put some you know, wallpaper on there so it looks you know visually okay. So we've actually boarded off areas so that is going to minimize the noise and any dust coming through. And I think the only way there'll be disturbances is if probably if someone has their window open, which probably is going to happen during that summer period, and they're working from home. And then we will negotiate with them if they're uncomfortable with noise, we'll give them a special rate for that period while it's going on or something. But I think it wasn't really an option as much as we'd love to do phase one and two at the same time. It wasn't really an option. We need to get some income being generated just to start to pay things like our business rates, start to repay some of the loans that we've taken on to for the development. And we're comfortable, we're over budget, we're a lot more over budget than we would have thought. And, you know, a message to people who are doing developments, 
is they have quite a comfortable contingency. I would say in this environment, we would normally say 10% on your bill cost. I would say bump that up to 20%. And, you know, we have, Amanda and I have an attitude to always buy very well. There are some things you have to buy quickly, but as much as possible, you want to be able to compare prices. We've just ordered a bunch of fridges, washer dryers, and TVs and stuff, and we've shopped around and probably saved anything from 10 to 20, 25% on some of the items just by shopping around and applying discounts where we can. We reuse doors in terms of rather than buying brand new fire doors, we've reused them and I think the phrase is upcycled them. And that's come out beautifully. So we're very happy about that. And that goes along with the theme. So phase two, we hope that phase two is going to be a, a three and a half to four month phase. They're going to be huge rooms. Some of the rooms are going to be three meters wide by about nine meters long. So somewhere they're going to be like some of the biggest rooms in, in the building. So around about between 25 and 30 square meters. Fully on suite, they're probably going to be our studios and suites, as I've mentioned before. So we're excited about that. Now, we can't do all seven because we've so much over budget on phase one. So we're now doing, we've done the 12, we're now doing another three or four. And I say three or four purely because the fourth one is towards the front of the property. And that will have an impact on people accessing the property, tenants and guests accessing the property. So we might have to push that that last room onto the final phase. So we'll have everything done and dusted in terms of phase two. By the end of the year, we'll have new people in for Christmas. And then we'll go into New Year with a plan for the final phase, which is the front of the building. And then we'll have to have a look at how do we then compartmentalize and block off the building in a way which doesn't disturb the existing renters. There are some a few issues in terms of soundproofing, in terms of insulation. We've had to insulate the whole of the ground floor because that's new legislation because it's a conversion. So we have to do some pretty heavy insulation on the ground floor, which is important from a damp energy saving and sound standpoint and costs a bit more as well. And it's very time consuming, but it's got to be done. We, you know, because of the voids that are going to be created in the ceiling, we've had to put additional fire alarm systems within those voids for phase two. So things which previously we haven't had to do, but, you know, you go for a bigger project, there are new things to take into account. And these are some of the new things. And as you learn, you grow and you turn knowledge forward to your next project and you then deploy that in your next project of a similar size. So that's where we are. So we're excited at the launch. So we're now setting things up on our system. We're gearing the team up. We hope to be taking photographs, certainly within 10 days, maximum two weeks. Most of the furniture already in. We're going to get the cleaners in to do a, a beauty clean. And then we're going to pull the sheets and the duvets and the cushions and pillows on there. So it'll be ready for, for photographing, which we will upload somewhere we will we'll, do, we'll, we'll put them on to put them on instagram so if you follow my personal instagram page which is amanda woodward property i'll make sure that we've got updates of the project on the on the instagram page we will be opening paul for guests and 
we are up against interest rates, which, you know, we're not looking to refinance a property straight away. So that's not a direct sort of hit on us. But we are up against renters reform bill. Yeah. And the just, again, increased legislation, regulation and changes taking place with regards to tenants. So I think it would be, you know, good for us you just to say a couple of things as i know you were on a webinar just the other day again bringing ourselves up to speed with all the changes as we have to keep our landlords compliant but just share what you think some of the challenges might be in and around the renters reform bill i think the view is the cynical view is that if this was meant to be a landlord and tenant act it's now a tenant and tenant act so it benefits tenants more then it benefits landlords for sure. Landlords are sceptical because it all boils down to evictions. When can you evict? How long before you can start the eviction process? What's the reasons for eviction? And now they're talking about a little bit of an open-ended. Section 21 has gone, but then that's now being pushed back to a later date for it to disappear. But what we know for sure that things are changing. And the discussion was... You know, it's six six months notice. You want to get somebody out. So you know, there there was crazy stuff in the press about sharing profits with the tenant on a sale and stuff like that. And you know, you laugh, but someone's come up with that idea. And you know, in a world of politics, ideas as crazy as they may sound do come on the statute books. I'd like to say that and rent control doesn't happen, but, you know, stranger things have in the past. So I think for the landlord, the mindset for the landlord is has to be, I want to make sure my property is compliant. I want to make sure that I have as much flexibility as possible in terms of the way my tenants are managed. And for the sum of the landlords that work with us, they probably understand what that means. The legislation is changing. There's always a period where there's a little bit of a grey area and people have to get up to steam. But the long and short of it is that the government is siding with the renter. They want their vote going forward and they want to make the renter more secure. So things like not accepting pets is no longer legal in inverted commas. Now, we're not going to have six dogs and cats in a six-bedroom HMO, that's for sure. So there's some practical things that I haven't thought through and ironed out. They want to make tenancies almost open-ended, which the AST was supposed to stop. But, you know, it means that someone can come along and say, I want a one-month AST or one-month stay, but can literally give them six months' notice to get rid of them. So there's a few contradictory things that didn't quite make sense. We normally have to look to Wales and or Scotland to get a feel for what's coming down the pipe. It's almost as if the UK government, you know, sanctions a test in those areas, see how it works for a year or two, and then copies them. The other thing is a landlord register. Each landlord might have to be licensed to be able to rent their property, be it an HMO or a buy-to-let. That is already the case in Wales. I want to say Scotland as well, but I'm not 100% sure, but certainly Wales. And that does limit what you can do as a landlord if you are not licensed. You literally aren't allowed to call a contractor to fix a problem at your rental property if you are not a licensed landlord. Now, I don't know who does the checks, but that's the way it's supposed to be. 
So it's our job as your property manager or your letting agent to keep an eye on that legislation to inform you and to put things in place from our standpoint and also to highlight it so you know what your obligations are. But I think, you know, we've got an election coming up in 2025. I suspect the next two years are going to be quite fraught with new legislation coming through because politicians want to be seen to be supporting the renter as opposed to the landlord, the evil landlords who are rich and all powerful, which we all know is not the case, but, you know, there is this perception. So I think we've got a couple of years of that. And thereafter, let's see. I think what is the flip side of all that is that all that is pushing up rates because, you know, some landlords are saying, you know what, I'm getting a bit old. I don't want to do this anymore. And they say, look, let's sell. Other landlords are picking up those properties and great. First time buyers are picking up those properties. Not so much now with the current interest rates, not so much, not so much doing that. But when landlords sell because they feel that, you know, they want to retire, there's less property on the market and that pushes up the rental rates. And that's been something that the government hasn't anticipated. And whilst the reform bill is in theory all great for renters, but let's face it, any extra costs, whether it's mortgage, utility costs, or even administrative costs, are going to be, at the end of the day, paid by the renter. So I can see rent going up by another 15% on average over the next year or so. Parts of the South over the last two years have gone up by 40% and made worse because of rising interest rates. So that's where it is. And we're probably going to crunch some numbers and see what our next price increase is going to be, where we can just try and compensate. That's the right word, probably not the right word our landlords in terms of the mortgage increases that they've seen. And we've seen stuff on our own portfolio where we haven't been able to fix. And you're in that difficult position is that, you know, do you just tough it out? Do you fix at a high rate now and wait for two, three or five years, God forbid? Or do you just go with the track and, and take the pain now? And then maybe two years from now, things will start to, to ease off. Our inflation in this country is still horrific. Inflation in the US is three point something. And our inflation is 7.9, almost 8%. On the continent, it's 5 point something. So we're still a good 3% almost above what it is on the continent. And that's a little bit scary because that's what drives interest rates with this Bank of England. But not to waffle, not to be doom, doom and gloomy. What I would say if you're a landlord, I always say, I was speaking to some landlords the other day, is that, and I've said it on this podcast, you've got to think long term. Yes. You've got to think long term. 10 years minimum, and then 10 years come around, you think another 10 years, because you want to hand this over to your children. It's a great pension for those who are looking to retire later on in life, and nothing goes in a straight line. So you're going to have some difficult periods like we're probably experiencing now because of high interest rates, high energy bills, and think new legislation. But we've come off the back of zero interest rates, and people are like making great cash flow on the back of you know very low interest rates. So you got to take the rough with the smooth, I would say. And I would say, think long term. And we have said we're not selling anything at the moment. You know, part of our absence is because we were trying to buy a home for ourselves, having moved. And that was painful because of the interest rates. But we are passionate about the long-term prospects for property. So we'll continue to be net buyers going forward. And if we see a deal... Someone asked me, a couple of landlords asked me, you know, do I see a crash? And I think the short answer is probably not. 
and not for the reasons that I think everything's going to be okay and there's going to be no recession. But I think, you know, we've become a little bit of a nanny state. And when get, things get really bad, the government jumps in and gives a level of support, which historically has never happened before. Now, whilst we all accept that support, whether it's in terms of energy subsidies or furlough or things like that, I think that has created, call it zombie properties, properties that under normal circumstances, they would be forced to sell or be liquidated in some shape or form. But they've just been bumping along because interest is so long or they've, been, they've received some sort of grant or subsidy or cheap loan via the government. So I think that has prevented any sort of crash. And I think it'll probably be continued to do that, be like that, because it's difficult. To, once you go down that road, it's difficult to turn around. So I don't think there'll be a crash, but I think there'll be people who will be under pressure to sell because they've come out of a fixed rate mortgage, which was, you know, I looked at one of ours, we've got fixed rate mortgages at 1.94% for a, a buy to let. We've got others who are now looking at 9%. So, you know, if you imagine someone's come out of 1.9% personal mortgage or, or, or buy to let mortgage and now paying three or four times that amount, if that's their only property, they're probably going to be forced to sell. So, I think there's going to be that. So I think you'd be able to negotiate a discount. And I, and I said to landlords, anything you're buying now, you've got to push for. You've got to push for quite a deep discount, as deep as you can. Run the numbers, whatever the numbers work for you, then go with that in mind, but don't overpay. Don't overpay. So uh, that's what I say about rent reform and the interest rate, basically. All right, good stuff. So I think we'll wrap it up and leave it there in terms of this episode. So I hope our listeners found it useful enlightening and a practical update as to where we're at with the project and we will endeavor to keep you updated on all things property as we move forward thanks for listening thank you we hope you enjoyed today's episode and if so please hit subscribe and share with those who you think would enjoy it too to get in touch with paul and amanda directly please visit their website www.essentialpropertyoptions.co.uk for more information. We look forward to sharing with you on the next episode.